Hey, good morning, church family. How are you this morning? Good to see you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I missed you last week. Uh, we had a little family vacation, got a chance to get away and catch our breath a little bit, but we missed being with you on Sunday. It's so good to be back together with the people of God in the presence of God. If you're watching online this morning, hello, we love you. Hope that you are doing well. We know some of you may be traveling or homesick. We hope and look forward to the day that you're able to return to in-person worship with us. Some of you, we know that that day might not be for a very long time, uh, that you're home for all kinds of medical reasons. We just want you to know that uh, our hearts are with you, that we love you, we think about you. Uh, and if there's anything that we can do, reach out and let us know how we can help. For those of you who are visiting this morning, if you this is your first time or second time here, my name's Jason. I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor of this congregation. We want to welcome you. We're so absolutely delighted that you're here. We'd love to get a chance to meet you uh, and to hear a little bit of your story and answer any questions that you might have. There's a couple practical ways to help us to do that. One would be there is a QR code here on the screens uh, or out in the lobby. Maybe that will come up here in a second to, as a way to fill out the guest card. There you go. If you want to scan that uh, or scan out in the uh, lobby, the QR code, fill out a digital guest card that would really help us. If you don't know how to work one of those, find someone under the age of 30 uh, and they'll be able to help you from there. I have to do this often. Uh, like, how do we do this uh, again? Or you can stop by the welcome area after the service. We'd love that as well as the second step. We'd love to give you a gift um, and just get a chance to, to meet you and to get to know your name. For our service today, uh, if, this, if you're kind of new to New Life Downtown, uh, we are kind of a, a blend of uh, charismatic worship and historic practices. So we're going to sing our hearts out today. Uh, we're going to open the word and uh, study the book of 1 Kings, and we're going to come to the table, uh, come through uh, the table using liturgy. So you'll find kind of a mix of different traditions uh, that make up our worship time together, but we're delighted that you're here. And if you have any questions about that, please uh, let us know as well as we open our time together and center ourselves once again on the person and the presence of Jesus. Uh, I want to invite us to pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. We've prayed this several times over the last couple of months. Um, sometimes when we're walking through situations, uh, either in the world or in our own lives, and we wonder how do we pray, uh, Jesus' disciples had a moment where they're like, Jesus, we just don't know how to pray. Would you teach us? And he gave us these words as a way to pray as a way to take all of our anxieties, all of our stresses, all of our worries, all of our hope and all of our fear, all of our concerns and all of our joy and to direct them to God in prayer. So let's pray this prayer together. The words are gonna be up on the screen because we learned four different versions uh, of how to pray this. So this will help us to pray uh, with one voice this morning. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen, amen. Let's worship God together this morning.
using your strength. Lord, you are the strength of our hearts. You lift the weary. You lift our heads. You give us hope. So we say, holy. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are. Won't you fill me with your heart? Lead me in your love. Let's sing that again. Holy, from your hearts. Holy, there is no one. Let me hear you sing at church. Who compares? presence today, Lord, so that we can go in your love today, Lord. Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me, oh Lord, oh Lord. We've seen your glory, God, and we can't stay quiet. We've seen your wonders, God. We can't stay quiet. We cry, holy, holy, holy. We cry, holy, holy, holy. We cry.
try that verse again together. We fall down. We surrender. We fall down. We lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. The greatness of your mercy and love at the feet of Jesus. Cry it out. And we try holy, holy, holy. We try holy, holy, holy. And we cry holy, holy, holy. Is the Lamb. Oh, we gotta sing it one more time. Hearts full of praise. still before the Holy One. Show us your glory, Lord. Show us your glory, Lord. Holy, 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 holy. Isaiah standing before the throne of God saying, woe is me. There's a moment of response when we see such a beautiful revelation of who God is, a, a true response. Something like holy, holy, holy. But what's interesting is he doesn't end there. <laughs> After a moment of encounter, he says, here am I, send me. I gotta tell other people about this. <laughs> I gotta tell the world about this. I gotta tell, I gotta say it. I gotta speak it. There's something important about speaking the goodness of God, saying it out loud from our own hearts, letting it overflow into the world around us telling of the works of the Lord, telling of his holiness. So family, I wanna encourage you today. Let's not hold back. When we see the holiness of who he is, let's let it overflow. Let's let this room be filled with the praises of the King. It doesn't have to be the words, the songs we're singing just from your own heart. You can say, holy, holy, holy. 
Worthy, worthy, worthy. Glory, glory, glory. I can't stay quiet when I've seen such a beautiful revelation of this God in heaven. Oh Lord, capture our hearts. Capture our hearts today. Let it overflow. Let us overflow. Let us pour out our praise for the glory of the Lord. Wonderful King, wonderful King, mighty God, glorious one. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let the goodness of the Lord be known in all of the earth. Let the whole world know how good, how holy, how awesome you are, Lord. You are faithful. You are true. Your way is the way of peace, of love, of faithfulness, of goodness, of righteousness, of justice. Lord, we proclaim your praise in this place today, Lord. Holy, holy, let it overflow. We're not going to be timid about that, Lord. We cry holy. Let me hear you, church. Let it rise, let it rise. We cry holy. And we cry holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. And holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love. Sing a little bit louder now. Holy, holy, there is no
won't you open up my eyes? Show me who you are in film. Show me, show me, show me who you are and fill me with your heart and leave I wonder if we could just sing this chorus together before we end our time of worship. It's real simple. Lord, I give you my give you my soul I live for you alone every breath that I take every moment I'm away Lord have your we gotta sing that again Lord I give Lord I give you my heart I give you my soul I live for you every breath that I take every moment I'm away Lord have your way Lord I give Lord I give you my heart I give you my soul this be more than a song right now. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm away. Lord, one last time, with all you got, whole heart we say, Lord, I give you my heart. Oh, I give you my soul, my soul, my soul. For you alone, and every breath that I take, every moment I'm away, Lord, have your way in me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This song articulates a, a deep part of our Christian faith, that to be a follower of Jesus is to give everything over to him, to take our whole lives, our, in one uh, message translation of the New Testament, take our everyday ordinary lives, our eating, drinking, sleeping, going to work, walking around lives, and place them before God as an offering. God invites us to bring all of ourselves and all of our lives to him all of the time. And one of the primary ways that we do that is through prayer, is by taking moments throughout a day and even moments around the day and particular moments and moments when we're driving and we're sleeping or we're walking or we're at work and we say, okay, God, I'm, I'm turning everything to you in prayer. I'm bringing my prayers to you. And yet oftentimes we find ourselves in places where like, I don't even know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. 
that I think has been a collective feeling over the last week as we have read the reports coming out of Israel and Gaza and seeing the, the images and reading the reports or watching the videos and finding ourselves going, God, where are you in the middle of this? And what are you doing? And how are we even supposed to pray? And we not only feel that way about large scale issues like that, oftentimes we feel that way in our own lives. Like, I just don't know what to do. When I find myself in those places, I'm often drawn back to the scriptures to say, okay, when I don't know what to pray, I pray the scriptures. I, I pray the Bible. I pray the text because the text reminds me of who God is and what God has done and ultimately what God is going to do and anchors me in the place of saying, okay, God, where I can't see you right now and where I don't understand what you're doing right now, I do know what you're going to do. I trust that you are a God who keeps his promises. I trust that you've kept your promises in the past. I trust that you're going to keep them in the future. I have no clue how you're keeping them right now but I trust that you're going to. And so today, I want us to pray together from Micah chapter four, is particularly as we pray about Israel and Gaza today. Micah chapter four reads this. It says, the God will judge between the nations and he will settle disputes of mighty nations, which are far away. And it goes on, it says, they will beat their swords into iron plows and their spears into pruning hooks and nation will not take up sword against nation. It goes on, it said, they will no longer learn how to make war, but instead all people will sit underneath their own grapevines and under their own fig trees. Micah reminds us that God's the one who judges, that God's the one who can bring peace that he will judge, he will bring peace, and God is the only one that can provide us that kind of security and provision. The image of everyone under their own vine and fig tree, safety and provision. And so Jesus, we come to you today with all of our concerns, both our individual concerns and our global concerns, and we want to trust that this is going to be true about the future, and we ask that you would bring the future into the present that you would bring justice. As we look at the reports and hear the stories, what we see is evil. What we read about is unjust. What we find ourselves crying out for is, God, where are you and how can you let this happen? But we want to trust that you are a just God who will bring judgment in the earth and that judgment will be done fairly and it will be done rightly in ways that we can't. So we have to take all of our anger at it, throw it on you and say, God, would you bring justice into this situation? Would you defeat evil? And God, we long for peace. We long for the end of war, the end of violence, the end of hurt, the end of pain, the end of disease, the end of darkness, the end of all these things. We want them to be over. We know that you said that death is the last enemy to be defeated, and we just want it done. We want it to end and for peace to come. So Prince of Peace, we trust you. Would you bring peace into this situation? Would you end violence? Would you de-escalate conflict? Would you cause the miraculous to happen in the present as we also wait for the future when we no longer pray these prayers anymore? Because you have done the very thing that you promised and all of our weapons of war, we transitioned into things to cultivate the earth and to care for others. It's the longing that we have in us. Would you bring it today? Would you bring justice? Would you bring peace? And for all 
of our concerns about safety and security and provision for, for civilians, for women, for children, for the elderly. We long for the day when the streets are filled with people playing. The streets are filled with kids playing, not running. When people can go to music festivals and just sing. God, our hearts are heavy. Our hearts are broken. We're crying out for you to care. Would you provide a place of safety, of security, of provision? We long for the day when everyone sits under their own vine and fig tree, where we all have everything that we need, where you are our sustenance in every way. And until that day, we cry out for safety, for protection, for provision. God, would you bring it? Would you bring it there? Would you bring it to us too? For those in the room that are facing inner conflicts, relational conflicts, Conflicts at home or at work or with neighbors, with friends or with family members. Conflicts internally with addiction, with mental health, with marital strife, with wondering and questioning who you are and where you are, with doubts and insecurities, with all of the things that wage and rage inside of us. Would you also bring peace, provision, safety, security? Would you be our vine? Would you be our fig tree today? May we take shelter under your provision. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated, New Life Downtown family. As we continue in worship, one of the ways that we're called to participate in the ongoing life of God is to give, to take a portion of what God has given to us and share it with one another, that we may care for one another and we might care for our city and for our world. There's four ways to give. You can give online or via the app and give on via the mail or boxes that are in the lobby. If you're looking for ways to help those who are impacted by what's going on in Israel and Gaza, there is a drop-down menu there. You can select New Life downtown for your normal ties and offerings. You can also select disaster relief and that will go to our partner organizations that are working over there, including World Relief, uh, who are trying to come alongside of those uh, who have just suffered so egregiously uh, in the middle of all that's happening there. So if you're looking for some practical ways to get involved in what's going, that is another option. Our middle schoolers, they left before I could dismiss them, but middle schoolers, we love you. Have a great time uh, over there. There, yeah, They can maybe still hear us through the uh, through the lobby today, uh, I have the privilege of introducing you to a dear friend of mine. Uh, his name is Steve Hickson. Steve and his wife Darlene have been a part of New Life Downtown for the last five years. Uh, Steve, in his own words, is an accidentally retired pastor. Um, so he pastored for just say at least forty years. Um, it's a little bit longer than that. Uh, but Steve has uh, been a pastor his whole life, uh, pastoring in churches in Colorado, uh, Colorado Springs 
and in Texas, pastored here in this city at Fellowship Bible for a number of years, uh, but have accidentally retired here to Colorado Springs, joined New Life downtown. Their kids and grandkids are here, uh, and Steve is going to be preaching uh, for us today. So Steve, uh, so grateful for you, so grateful for Darlene. Darlene, where are you at? Can you give us a wave? There she is right there in the middle. Um, but when Steve comes up, would you please give him a great New Life downtown uh, welcome when he comes to share the word with us. But let's take a moment now to still our hearts as we prepare to hear and receive the word of God. Jesus, help us to hear your voice and your words today in your name. Amen. Good morning. My name is Bob. The Old Testament reading is found in 1 Kings 15, verses 1 through 6. Abijam became king of Judah in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, Nebat's son. He ruled for three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Maacah, and she was Abishalom's daughter. Abijam followed all the sinful ways of his father before him. He didn't follow the Lord God with all his heart like his ancestor David. Even so, on account of David, the Lord his God gave Abijam a lamp in Jerusalem by supporting his son who succeeded him and by preserving Jerusalem. This was because David did the right thing in the Lord's eyes. David did not deviate from anything the Lord commanded him throughout his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. There was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam as long as Abijah lived. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Nicole. The New Testament reading is found in Revelation 22, 16 through 17. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to bear witness to all of you about these things for the churches. I'm the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes receive life-giving water as a gift. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Pam. If you're able, please stand for the gospel reading found in Mark 12, verses 35 to 37. While Jesus was teaching in the temple, he said, Why do the legal experts say that Christ is David's son? David himself, inspired by the Holy Spirit, said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right side until I turn your enemies into your footstool. David himself calls him Lord. So how can he be David's son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. The Gospel of the Lord. Please remain... Uh... Please remain standing as we pray. Father, we ask that your spirit would teach us this morning that um, those who don't have hope would find it in you. We ask that you open our eyes to this scripture, what it means, what it means to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Uh, my name is Steve, and um, 
Darlene and I have been going to church here for about five years. Came back from Dallas and uh, we looked around and we said, we like this place. Uh, and I wanted to take just a second and just say, you know, we come here, we don't know a lot of people, but we know a bunch, and uh, we're always blessed when we're here. I just wanted, if we could uh, briefly say thank you to the leadership here. Uh, just hold your pause for a second, Jason and Sarah and Ken and Evan and Jay and the worship team and people behind the scenes and the kids' ministry and all that. Uh, you guys have blessed us, and the spirit and the culture here is, uh, is something that God's put together. So let's just give them a hand for all they do. So thankful. So a couple weeks ago, I got a text from Jason, and he uh, asked me to do uh, this, to speak on this passage. And I was just, uh, I was really honored and thrilled and flattered. And, and then I read the passage. And the passage is uh, 1 Kings 15 and 16. He said, you can teach whatever you want from there. So I started going through it, and uh, I was like, I don't, I've been doing this for a while. I've never read this. I don't know who these people are. I've never heard these names. Is this something, you know, they just recently added uh, to the Bible? It's just very... But I thought, after a while, you know, if you're a history buff, it's absolutely fascinating. And if you are not a history buff, it is mind-numbing. And so... um, And I thought, you know, as you read through 15 and 16, and I'm not going to read the whole thing or cover every verse, so relax... But um, it's like a broken record. And then I realized, uh, you know, a lot of you are pretty young. You don't even know what a broken record is. You know, we all, in the old days, people like us, we used to have these, like, records, and we would put them on, we put a needle on it that could break, and then it would get scratched. And when you would listen to the record, it was just like over and over and over the same thing. That's what this is. That's what 1 Kings 15 and 16, it's a broken record. And it's not a good one. Um, now, when I was 18 years old, I learned something that I've, <laughs> I've known my whole life now, and my wife is terrified that I'm going to go through it. It's called the walk through the Old Testament. And I am not going to do it, except I am going to do a little bit of it to remind you of where we're at. Okay, so on the screen you'll see that there was three major kings that we know. Saul, David, and Solomon, right? Saul, David, and Solomon... 40, 40, 40. Do you know they all reigned for the same amount of time? Saul, David, Solomon, 40, 40, 40. 120 years of the United Kingdom. And then the kingdom split. Uh, north, south, Israel, Judah, 1920, I've always remembered that. Because the ten tribes went up to the north and created a new country called Israel. Two tribes in the south, uh, Judah and Benjamin around Jerusalem. So there's north is Israel and south is Judah. It gets confusing. Israel, the kingdom split, Israel, Judah, 1920-08. What does that mean? It means during this period of time, over hundreds of years, there was 19 kings in the north and 20 kings, a total of, one right after the other, in the south. Now the kicker is the 08. What's that all about? It means in the north, out of those 19 kings, it was zero for 19. I was going to say that's kind of like the Broncos, but I don't want to say that. Um, I'm sorry. They're, gonna come, they're coming back. The zero for 19, eight for 20. A little bit better, still not so good. 
That's all I'm going to say. That brings us to 1 Kings 15. And, and Israel, you know, just a few weeks ago we were hearing about they're a beacon of light. Queen of Sheba's showing up to find out how how'd you get to be this great. And now they're fighting each other. So the other day my wife and I um, watched The Hobbit. Somehow they made three movies out of one book. And, and The Hobbits, you know, The Hobbits there, uh, Bilbo, and then you've got... Um, the dwarves are the good guys, and the elves are good guys, but the dwarves decide to go to war with the elves. And you're thinking, why are you doing this? Don't you realize there's these orcs out there? You, you should be watching out for the orcs. And they're like, no, we're going to fight. That's exactly what happened in Israel. Don't you realize? It's just like it is today, sadly. And so they're fighting each other, north and south. They're even fighting amongst each other. And it says in 15, verse 1, Abijam became king of Judah in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, Nabot's son. He ruled for three years in Jerusalem. So they keep going back and forth. He's talking about Abijah being king in Judah in the south during a time when Jeroboam was king in the north. His mother's name was Machah, and she was Abishalom's daughter. Abishalom is probably the same person as Absalom. Skipping down to verse 9, uh, Abijam only reigned for three years, and then he has a son named Asa. In the 20th year of king, Israel's king Jeroboam, in the 20th year of Jeroboam in the north, Asa becomes king of Judah in the south. He ruled in Jerusalem for 41 years. His mother, or grandmother's name, it's probably, it says mother, but it's probably his grandmother, was Mekah. She was Abishalom's daughter. Asa did the right things in the Lord's eyes, just like his father David. He removed the consecrated workers from the land, and he did away with all the worthless idols that his predecessors had made. So Asa is one of these eight good kings. Now, that's the CEB translation is a little bit sanitized here. And in verse 12, it says he removed the consecrated workers. Well, you'll see in other translations, the consecrated workers were actually temple prostitutes. And that's horrible. We won't go into that. But this kind of thing happened in the ancient world. It happened in Ephesus. These consecrated workers, these prostitutes, would actually have nails on the bottom of their sandals so that as they walked through the dirt, it would spell out, follow me. And so this is what was going on. But Asa got rid of all that. He even did this in verse 13. I thought this must have been an awkward moment for Asa. He even removed his grandmother, Mekah, from the position of queen mother because she had made an image of Asherah. It says she made an obscene image. Can you imagine that moment when Asa says, you've got to bring my grandma in and I've got to fire her. And tell her to bring her tiara and her computer and everything because we're going to get rid of her because she's ruining everything. She's not a good influence, and so he had to talk to his grandma about that. Uh, to verse 23, the rest of Asa's deeds, his strength, and all he did, as well as the towns that he built, aren't they all written in the official records of Judah's kings? And when you see this over and over and over, it says, aren't those deeds written in the Chronicles? And we don't have those books anymore. I was going to say they're out in the foyer, but they've been lost forever. Um, when he was old, <laughs> this is odd, 
When he was old, Asa developed a severe foot disease. That's all it says. Um, If this had been me, there would be a long list of stuff wrong with him, but he had a bad foot disease. He died. He was buried with his ancestors in David's city. And a lot of times, these kings would die, and it said they would sleep with their fathers. But what that meant was they would actually be in a cave burial place, and they'd put their body in there with their fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers. So that's what that meant. So that's Abijam and Asa in the south. And I've got three principles I wanted to give you today. And the very first one is this. As you read through these lists, these laundry lists of kings, um, the first principle is this. My life is creating a legacy for good or bad. Uh, It's happening. Uh, George Santayana, the famous philosopher, said, those who don't remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Uh, Now, that's terrifying when you're a parent. You think, how do I create a good legacy? You can't really force it, but you can love God and pray, right? Um, We we took a class. I'm not sure if uh, Sarah's going to be offering it again soon. It's called... um, Emotionally Healthy Relationships. I'd recommend everyone take it. If you guys have it again, I wish we'd had it before we got married. Uh, You create a genogram. And if you've ever done that, it's a family tree, but it's more than a family tree of your family. It goes back several generations and forwards even. And you look at it, and um, a genogram is a pictorial display of a person's family relationships. It goes beyond a traditional family tree by allowing the user to visualize the hereditary patterns. And sometimes you look at stuff and go, wow, I see this pattern. I've never seen that pattern before. And as you read among these kings, they just follow the person behind them. So you might have heard of this famous illustration of two men who lived in the mid-1700s. One of them was Jonathan Edwards, a famous Christian pastor and teacher and theologian, one of the great minds of early America, And um, then they found this other guy who lived about the same time. His name was Max Jukes. And the reason they found him was because they realized 42 guys in the New York prison system could be traced back, their family tree, to this guy, Max Jukes. And so they did these studies. And here's, um, so Jonathan Edwards is this pastor. And he wasn't perfect. Uh, There was a fantastic book written about him called it's about his wife, actually, Sarah Edwards, who was married to him. And um, Sarah might be thinking this right now. The book was called Marriage to a Difficult Man. And so it's a great book. And Jonathan Edwards was fantastic. And he had like 10 kids. And every night they would talk to their kids and, and he would pray with them and he would say a blessing over each kid. So that was, that was a good thing. And here's what they traced from his legacy. After Edwards came one U.S. vice president, one law school dean, one medical school dean, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 65 professors, 75 military officers, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, 100 clergymen, and 285 college graduates. So that just proves that if you pray with your kids, they'll all become lawyers. So, no, that was his legacy. And then Max Jukes, you know, lived the same period of time. His family tree, seven murderers, 60 thieves, 
192 prostitutes, 150 other convicts, 310 paupers, 440 who were physically wrecked by addictions. Of the 1,200 descendants studied, 300 died prematurely. This is what 1 Kings 15 and 16 is like. And you know, we're creating legacies whether we know it or not. And my wife told me something she just heard this morning, which is, if Jesus is in your life, your legacy can change. It doesn't have to be just, you know, my family was this and this and this. If Jesus is in your life, your legacy can change. Let me go to the second principle. The second one is this. The humbled heart asks God for help in all things. Uh, This is something that the kings of the north never did. And some of the kings of the south did do. They asked God for help. David asked God for help. So I'm old, and we live high in the, in the springs, and it's harder for me to ride my bike home. And so I finally got an e-bike. Some of you might have an e-bike. Maybe you need to find a, e- a meal group with e-bikes. I don't know. If you've ever ridden on an e-bike, they're great, but they're like little tiny motorcycles. And if you do like a too tight a circle, it can get away from you. So this a couple months ago. I was, um, you can't make this up. Well, you could, but it's not, I didn't. And so you're, I'm turning, and I'm like, and it's pretty tall. And I'm like, I, I, saw, I couldn't get, I'm going, I'm going down. I don't know if you ever had that feeling on a bicycle. It's like, I'm going down. And it's a cement parking lot, and I just, boom. Scrape my, you know, it was embarrassing. Some people saw me, and they're like, oh, sir. And I'm like, I'm okay. I'm a man. And then I looked. <laughs> And I got an Apple Watch this summer. And I'm not making this up. My Apple Watch said, it looks like you've taken a hard fall. Would you like me to call for help? <laughs> and I was like, what? And where are we? What, is, what year is this? And I said, I'm, I may be old, but I'm still a man. I am not calling for help. <laughs> no, and I kept putting the button. I don't want help. Then I thought, well, if you were going to call, who would you call? But I don't like calling for help. Asa generally asked God for help. But if you read, you go, well, what is First and Second Chronicles? First and 2 Chronicles is a lot of what's in First and Second Kings, only more details. So Asa was good for 40 years. Near the end, he started doing something that we all tend to do, and that is he separated his life into secular and spiritual. And he would ask God for help in the religious things. But the other stuff, you know, war and building stuff, he's like, I've got this. So he stopped asking God for help. And a prophet had to go up to him and say, you know, you're really not doing this the way God wants you because you don't, you don't ask anymore. And I thought, you know, for me, it's kind of the opposite. I did ministry for like 40 years. And I'm sure there's lots of times I went, you know, I kind of understand preaching, but I forgot to ask for help. You know, I can't change a tire, but I can, I've kind of done this. So whatever it is in our lives, that we're kind of, it comes naturally or we've done it. There's a tendency to like, I don't need help, God. God goes, yeah, you do. Ask me for help. The humbled heart asks God for help in all things. And even Asa, near the end, didn't do that. So let me quickly summarize um, chapters 15 and 16. It's about a 60-year period. I'm not going to read it all. In the south, you've got Rehoboam, son of Solomon. 
You got Abijah, who we just read about, and we've got Asa, who's there for 41 years. Abijah was only there for three. In the north, Jeroboam's there for 22 years. Nadab was there for two. Basha killed him and was there for 24. Elah was only there for two years. Zimri, I'd never heard of this guy before. Zimri is basically a gangster. He's assassinating people. He's running around killing everyone he can find. He has a terrible ending. It's like the Godfather. And he, he's, you know, he can see that he's going to get defeated. So he just sets fire to the temple that he's in and it burns out. He dies. He's only king for seven days. <laughs> seven days. He's a gangster. And you're, a lot of you are looking at me going, Steve, you look like you could have been a gang leader. Right? That's, no, nobody ever thinks I'm leader, but I was. Um, I, I'd forgotten this episode in my life, and I, I think, I'm trying to remember if it was kindergarten or first grade, but it was first grade. I go out to the playground during recess, and I don't know how this happened. I honestly don't, but all these kids, these boys gathered around me, you know, a bunch of six-year-old Hoosiers, and um, they looked at me, and they said, well, you're our leader. What do you want us to do? And I was shocked. Because I didn't have, and I never have had a charismatic personality. And I just, I said, I don't know, go beat that kid up. I don't know where that came from. And I don't really think they heard him. I think they wrestled around unless I, I was like, that's a lot of power. And I don't even know how this happened. So I came back the next day and I had plans. And these kids looked at me like, who are you? And I'm like, well, aren't I the gang leader? They're like, no, that guy is now. So it lasted one day for me. And I don't think I did a lot of damage, but it was, it was heady for, for that one day. Well, Zimri's got seven days of that. He's assassinating people. And then Zimri, after that, they're even fighting in the, in the north between two different people. And then Omri comes after Zimri, and he's there for 12 years. And then this is where he gets into Ahab and Jezebel and all that. And that's what Jason is going to be talking about. 1629, near the end of the chapter 16, in the 38th year of Judah's king Asa, Ahab um, becomes king. He ruled for 22 years. Ahab found it easy to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. He married Jezebel, and he did more to anger the Lord, the God of Israel, than any of Israel's kings who preceded him. Not shalom. Now, if you know the Old Testament concept or word shalom, you, you find it like Absalom is Absalom, or um, Jerusalem is the city of peace, Jerusalem. Shalom is not just the absence of war. Uh, shalom is the idea of this is the way life should be. It's flourishing. It's full. It's love. It's harmony. It's all the things that Jason was, was praying for. And, and that's not going on in this passage at all. And I was thinking, you know, if you're a good leader, um, it doesn't guarantee that you'll experience shalom because you can be a good leader and still have war. But if you're not a good leader, it pretty much guarantees you're not going to have shalom. Um, there's a place in Siena, Italy. I've never seen this. I'd love to. Uh, they hire nine magistrates to run Siena, Italy. It's a city in the middle there. 
and uh, there was a guy in the 1300s named Ambrosio Lorenzetti, and he painted six paintings. And the names of these paintings were um, the allegory of good and bad government. And, it, and one shows what good government looks like in when people are having they're peaceful and shalom, and then bad government where it's chaos. And then he did a couple more. Good government in the city, good government in the country, bad government in the city, bad government in the country. And these are six huge paintings. And you know where they put them? In the big room where all the magistrates meet and make their decisions. And the idea is they were designed to remind the nine magistrates of just how much was at stake as they made their decisions. He's safe, you know. If we do this, we could end up over here. I just thought that was a great visual. But um, there's one more principle, and I wondered about this when I started reading this passage after Jason sent it to me, and I started going, what in the world? How can this help us? And I was, we were driving home last week, and, and we stopped it, and we got off at Garden of the Gods, and, and we're stopped there at the light, and I look at the, the cement wall, and there's graffiti. And I just glanced at it, and someone had actually taken spray paint and spray painted the word hopeless onto the wall. And I thought, you don't see it. What would have motivated that person to write hopeless? Well, obviously, they're probably feeling hopeless. Um, Where is God? In all this, you read 15 and 16, and it's spiraling down out of control. It's horrible. Where is God? And someone said, you know, if you're reading the Old Testament or you're reading some part of the scriptures that you don't understand, look for Jesus. And I think I found him, which was amazing. I, mean, I had a seminary professor that said, when you go to buy a diamond, they, they roll out this, uh, this black velvet on the table, and that's where they put the diamonds because against that, you can see the beauty and the glory of it. Uh, we went to Iceland several years ago, and there's a beach called Diamond Beach. And the diamonds are not diamonds. They're pieces of ice that break off of the, uh, of the ice flows. And, and, but it's a black sand beach, so it's all dark and black. But in that, these pieces of ice, little chunks, look like diamonds. And that's what you see here. And I started reading this first paragraph, and I, I got to verse 4. And verse 4 of chapter 15 says this, Even so, in the midst of this mess that Abijam is creating, on account of David, the Lord his God gave Abijam a lamp in Jerusalem by supporting his son, would be Asa, who succeeded him and by preserving Jerusalem. This was because David did the right thing in the Lord's eyes. David didn't deviate from anything the Lord commanded him throughout his life. And it's almost, it's not comical, but it says, except for the matter of Uriah the Hittite, although he did, you know, have this affair and murdered the guy and all that. And, and I thought, what is he saying? It's like he's going to give Abijah a gift. He says, I'm going to, even though you're a mess and you're ruining the country, I'm going to give you a gift. And it's, it has something to do with David. And, it's, and I thought, well, it's because God just really liked David. Yeah, he did like him. 
He likes us. Um, is it because David was so perfect? Well, comparatively, he was better in a lot of ways. But he wasn't obviously perfect because he look at what he did. And then I see this and I go, oh, wait a minute. In the midst of this darkness, in the midst of this mess, God looks down and says, I'm going to give you a light, a lamp in Jerusalem. And that's why I said there's a light at the end of the tunnel. It's not just light at the end of the tunnel. It's a light at the end of this tunnel that's going to go on for hundreds of years. Actually, that phrase, for David's sake, crops up again in chapter 11 before this. And the lamp crops up. And what is this? I think it's referring to the covenant that David had with God, that God said in in 2 Samuel 7, you can read it, this is a covenant in which God promises David and Israel that the Messiah would come from the lineage of David and the tribe of Judah and would establish a kingdom that would endure forever. Of course, he wanted David to obey and he wanted all of them to obey, but God says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have someone sitting on your throne from the tribe of Judah forever. And, and 2 Samuel says, he said, I, David, I took you as a, out of the pasture. You were just a shepherd, and I made you the king. And now I'm going to make your name great. And I'm going to, I'm going to give you a kingdom that will be secured forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So it's not just David. It's David's greater son who turns out to be the Messiah. In fact, it's an amazing thing. I'm sure it humbled David to hear this. I'm going to make your name great, David. Even though you've screwed up and done all these things, what happens in the New Testament? What's the very first sentence in the New Testament is Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, a record of the ancestors of Jesus Christ, Son of David. And at the very end of the New Testament, five verses from the end, what does it say? Revelation 22, 16. I, Jesus, I'm the root and descendant of David. Matthew's gospel is written specifically to prove that Jesus is the rightful king that came from the line of David. Jesus' first words in the gospel of Mark, he comes and he starts preaching and he says what? The kingdom of God is here. I love the Lord of the Rings, and I love that moment when Strider, <laughs> Strider who is incognito, you don't know who he really is till the end. You don't know how great he is. It's kind of a metaphor of Jesus to me. Uh, Jesus was incognito for most of those three years. You didn't really know how great he was. And at the end of the Lord of the Rings, they are crowning Aragorn as the king. And it says this, Tall as the sea kings of old, he stood above all that were near. Ancient of days he seemed, and yet in the flower of manhood, and wisdom sat upon his brow, and strength and healing were in his hands, and a light was about him. In a couple months, we're going to celebrate Advent here. And what is that? It is celebrating the coming of the promised king from the house of David, from the town of Bethlehem where he'll be born. This lamp that that God looks down through the ages and says, it's not because of your righteousness, but because of my promise, I'm going to give you this hope, this Messiah. We read Isaiah 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. 
On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. 52 years ago, I was sitting in the darkness of my little room in Indiana, about ready to go off to college, and I had no idea what life was all about. The lights were off. I was confused. I didn't really know anything about life, and I don't know why I did. But for some reason, I knelt down next to my bed, and I just honestly said, God, I, don't, I want you in my life. I know it has something to do with Jesus, but I don't fully understand it. And he showed up in my life. And if you ask him to show up in yours, he will do that. Because he is the lamp in the darkness, and he is the hope. Amen. Steve, thank you so much for that reminder that there is a light in the darkness. There is hope in the darkness, and that hope is Jesus. Jesus is the one who is the anchor of our hope, is centered on him, is rooted in him, it's found in him. This is why every single week we come to this table. It's like, why, why communion every week? Because we know that hope is found only in Jesus. And so we come to the table, even confessing our own sin, knowing like, yeah, sometimes we put our hope in ourselves. But no, our hope can be found only in you, Jesus. So we reorient ourselves and we come back to the table. We come back to the light and ask Jesus to meet us in the middle of our own darkness and despair. This is Jesus's table. And so all who believe that Jesus is the true king of the world, you are welcome to receive here this morning, regardless of your church background. If that doesn't describe you, thank you for coming. We do pray that you continue to come and get involved in whatever you can get involved in, continue to ask questions. And our prayer for you is that the light of Jesus would come into whatever it is that you're facing, whatever confusion or despair, situation, some doubt, whatever you're facing, that the the light of Jesus would come for you. But if you are ready, if you've been coming for a while, you're like, I am ready to start following Jesus, then we invite you in this moment to make this table like Steve's bedside. The moment where you sit and you stop and say, okay, God, I don't understand it all but I put my, my faith, my hope, my trust in Jesus. So if you're ready to begin following him, we invite you to participate along. We're gonna pray a prayer of confession, asking God for his help, humbling ourselves and asking for help and placing our trust in him once again. So let's pray this prayer together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us. That we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Friends, it's my joy to announce to you the good news of the gospel today. Would you open up your hands once again to receive the mercy of God?
Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. This proves, this demonstrates, this shows, this displays God's unimaginable love for us. So in the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. And the peace of the Lord be with you. As those who've been raised to new life with Jesus, would you stand and would you take just a moment to share that peace with those that are around you? Greet someone, introduce yourself to someone you haven't met before. Well, friends, Jesus is here. Let's try that one more time. Jesus is here. So lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. <laughs> Take a moment to do that right now. Thank him that there is a lamp, there is a light in the world. For it is a good and joyful thing to give thanks to you, Father Almighty. You formed us. You made us, you created us in your own image and likeness. Then you breathed life into us. You gave us the very life that we live. And when our love for you failed, your love for us remained steadfast. When we were unfaithful, you sent your son, Jesus, the descendant of David, to be faithful on our behalf. On the night that he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord, he took bread. When he blessed it, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body, which has been given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup of wine and when he given thanks, he gave it to them. He looked them in the eye and he said, drink of this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. May Jesus look you in the eye today and remind you that you have been forgiven. And so in remembrance of Jesus's, or God's mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we proclaim the mystery of our faith, that Christ has died, that Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. This table is a place where we meet Jesus, where we encounter the Holy Spirit. So let's sing this prayer as we invite the Spirit to meet us here, to move among us. Friends, these are the gifts of God. They have been given for us, the people of God. 
So let's receive them together in remembrance that Christ died for us. And let's feed on him in our hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. As the servers come forward, if this is your first time here, uh, you can join in just by following along with what everybody's doing. Just kind of watch and learn as you're coming forward. Or if you're someone that likes a little bit more detail, you can scan the QR code that's on the screen. They'll give you some more information from there. If you're unable to come forward, please ask someone next to you to bring the elements back to you. They'll gladly come forward, receive them, and then bring them back to you. If you're in the balcony, there are elements on a table there, or you're welcome to come down or join uh, this section over here on your right. But as we come to the table, let's worship Jesus, the light of the world, who stepped in to our darkness.
Amen. New Life Downtown, it's so good to be with you again this morning. If you need prayer for anything this morning, please come forward. Our communion team is now our prayer team, so they're here to pray for you for whatever you need today. As you're sent back out from this place into the world, into the places that Jesus has established you to live, to move, to have your being, the places he's established you to shine light into the darkness, may you go knowing that the Lord blesses you. May he bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. I love you all. I hope you have a great week. I'll see you around the city and back here next Sunday. Go in peace.